Hi, I'm Ann Faison, and this is Are We There Yet? Understanding Adolescent Grief. I could not be more excited to talk with my guest today. Jana DeCristofero has worked at the Dougie Center, a grief support center for kids and families in Portland, Oregon, for over two decades. She's also the host of one of my favorite grief podcasts, Grief Out Loud, which she's been hosting since 2015. So Jana is the first of several professionals in the field of childhood and adolescent grief that I've invited to be on the show. So welcome, Jana. Oh, Anne, thank you so much for having me and for the show that you've created for yourself and for your listeners. I'm glad you like it. Um, so if we could just start with you telling us a little bit about the Dougie Center and how you got involved there. I'm going to I'm going to take a wild guess and assume you had some personal experience with grief that inspired you to want to work there. Oh, well, your wild guess is absolutely wrong. Which is oh, really? <laughs> it can be, uh, it, it puts me in an interesting spot. Um, mm -hmm. Well, I'll tell your listeners what Ducky Center is, and then we'll, we can see, mm -hmm. we'll get more into why that might feel like an awkward answer for me, because... Dougie Center was the first peer grief support program for kids and teens in uh, that we are aware of in North America. We started in 1982, uh, and that initial start was a group of just four kids who met in our founder, Bev Chappell's basement in a house here in Portland, Oregon. And the whole purpose was to bring kids together with other kids who had had someone in their life die, mm. primarily a parent or a sibling. And Bev, our, our founder's whole vision was that kids know how to talk to other kids. Kids know what kids need. Kids can be there for each other in a way that it's really challenging sometimes, especially back in the 80s and the 70s and the 80s for adults to figure out how to be there for kids who are grieving. So that's kind of our origin story. And from that initial group with four kids, we have grown into uh, a much bigger organization where we have three locations in the Oregon area. And then we also have virtual groups. And every month we have about 2,500 kids, teens, and young adults who come into the realm of the Dougie Center, whether it's by coming through the doors of an actual location or signing on to a virtual group with us. And we work with kids who range in age from three to 18. And then we have corresponding uh, groups for the adults who might come with them to a grief support group. So this could be uh, a parent, it could be a grandparent, it could be someone else who's really important in raising that child or that teen. And then we also have a program for families who have an advanced serious illness in their realm. So that is a different program, like a pre-death program um, for kids, teens, adults with the illness and adults who are caregivers. And then one more thing I'd add on to that, in addition to our groups for kids and teens, we have groups for young adults who are between the ages of 18 and 40. So that's kind of the, the, the range of our groups. Mm. And we also provide a lot of training and support for other organizations um, who are wanting to support kids and teens and also families around the world who might call in who need help and uh, how to talk with kids or uh, accessing resources, things like that. Right. And I just was listening to uh, an interview with you where you talked about going into communities. So obviously different communities, if they've had um, something traumatic happen or, or even just a loss of a member of that community, you guys can sometimes go in and help them figure out how to, how to support themselves and each other. 
Right. That's part of our what we call our community response program, which does happen on mostly the local level, but also nationally. So our uh, senior director of advocacy and education, Dr. Donna Sherman, she's been uh, called up to go to Newtown, Connecticut after the Sandy Hook school shootings. She's been at Oklahoma City after the Oklahoma City bombing, where she's just there with the folks who are most impacted, trying to provide some support. Mm-hmm. Always uh at the result of a request. So we do not go into a community unless we have been asked to come in. Locally, I might meet with a school if a student has died or if a teacher has died to come in and provide some education, but primarily those grief peer support groups. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, and then you wanted me to talk about how I got here, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, people ask me that question all the time. It's such a natural thing to want to know, like, why would anybody want to spend their entire professional career talking about death and loss, although you could answer that question because that's what you do too. And a lot of times people will think like there must have been a a death in your life that brought you to this work or sort of, you know, created that motivation. And I found my way into working in grief and loss 1000% by accident. Uh, I had gone to graduate school to become a social worker with this idea in my head that I wanted to be an individual therapist and I wanted to sit across the room from someone and talk about all the things that you talk about in psychotherapy. And then I went to graduate school and I was like, that is terrifying. That's the last thing I want to do. I have no (laughs) idea what people need to do with their lives. I can't figure out my own life. Who am I to tell you how to raise your kid or, you know, figure out your relationship problems. It was horrible. It was like two year long panic attack for me. So I graduated from social work school and I was like, I'm done with this profession. And I went into research and And then I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I actually did this for a reason. I do enjoy most of the time working with humans, not just spreadsheets. So a friend of mine who I'd been in grad school with was like, you know, you should really check out this place. I don't remember what they're called, like the Doey Center or the Doggy Center. (laughs) They came to my grad school. They did a presentation. There was a video. There's like kids and teddy bears and they cry. And I don't know. I just feel like you should check it out. I was like, okay. So I called it's Doggy Center, not Doggy or Doey or or Dookie Center. And (laughs) they're like, funny enough, we have a volunteer training coming up in two days and we never have openings, but someone just dropped out. Would you like to take that spot? And I walked into that volunteer training, not knowing what to expect at all. But within the first 10 minutes of being there, they led from a place of these peer grief support groups exist so that kids and teens and their adult family members can come and figure out what they need from each other. We are not sitting in a place of expert knowledge. We are not sitting in a place of telling people what to do. And it honestly felt like the first time I actually took a real exhale in two years, because I thought, oh my gosh, this is a way I can be with humans and do work with other people and not have to sit in that role of of knowing everything, which was so scary to me. Mm. So that's how I got there was really like, what is the work that scares me the least when it comes to social work? But in the process of going through the volunteer training, where we ask our volunteers to really build and deepen their self-awareness around the role that grief has played in their lives and in their families' lives. And in that, you know, coming very face-to-face with the way that early death uh, has been part of my life even though no one in my immediate family died when I was young. My dad's dad died when he was 14. My grandmother's dad died at the dinner table when she was seven. Um, My mom's mom had uh, a pregnancy loss 
well, the baby was born and then died a couple days later. My grandfather had spent a year in the hospital almost dying. So like, it's a big part of my life. I just wasn't very conscious of it. So many things we don't really realize how they impact us, but of course they impact how we parent, how we bring children into the world, the way we think about the way we connect with our children. So I do think it really has um, a long-term effect, not just on the person, but on their kids and their mm -hmm. families. And I think anyone who comes into this realm of work, working with humans, doing human things, you have to really know your, for me personally, I really needed to know my temperament in terms of, I have the capacity to sit with people in their grief without the motivation or the inclination or the push to make it better. Because the whole point of grief is that it's natural, it's normal, there's no push to get over it or get past it. There's like, how do you learn to integrate it in your life? And we all have different um, temperaments when it comes to being in that role of support. Absolutely. No, I love that you're saying that it has so much to do with just making space for it. That's the way I like to think about it. Um, mm. And it's really not, yeah, it's never about trying to solve it. It's more about getting the person who's grieving to understand like, okay, yeah, this is what we need to make space for. And you need to find how to make space for it in your life now and in the future. You know, mm -hmm. um, so you know that my focus is really understanding how adolescent grief in particular kind of plays out over time. Um, so, you know, the, the hard parts about that, but also the good parts about that. And um, I'm just wondering if you think adolescent grief is different or sort of distinct from childhood grief and adult grief in any significant ways, you know, in terms of how it plays out sort of over the long term. And you're talking about uh, a death or a loss that occurs when someone is an adolescent. Exactly. I mean, I think it's absolutely different in in the fact that kids are different than adolescents, right? So where they are cognitively, emotionally, physically, spiritually, socially, all those things, they're in such a different place in their lives when that loss occurs. So the impact it's going to have, the, their understanding of what it means at the moment it happens is going to be very different. Um, I do think grief will evolve over the course of our lifetime no matter how old we were when the person in our life died, like that is going to continue to change as we change. But in terms of what the starting point was and the things that we experience in the moment and the things we reflect back on as we grow older are definitely going to change. Uh, for you know, someone who's maybe three when a parent dies, what they continue to grieve over the course of their life might look really different than a teenager who was 15, who had a chance to know their parent a little bit more and has maybe a bit more of a, um, a file of memories to fall back on. So yeah, I think where you start in your grief is gonna definitely play out over the course of your lifetime. Yeah, I agree. And I've been thinking a lot about this in, in terms of me trying to focus my podcast on those years, those sort of 12 to 20 years, um, you know, as a way to sort of focus my, my, this conversation that I'm having with, um, with different guests, but also a child that has an earlier loss, like when they're three or five or six or even 10, um, they're also going to experience adolescent grief when they get to adolescence. Mm -hmm. They're going to kind of go through adolescence with that loss and it's going to start coming up for them in new ways. 
Yes. And I think that's true throughout the course of our lives. You know, we become uh, a teenager without our parent. We become a young adult without our parent. We become uh, an oldering adult who is doing various life milestones without a parent, whether that's becoming their own parent. We become someone who ages without our parent. Every, every stage of our life can be impacted by the absence of a physical presence of someone and also the, you know, oftentimes a parent is, is a bit of a knowledge keeper in terms of stories of the family or their own experience of what it was like to decide what to do when they finished high school or but what was it like to actually have a child? What was it like to become a parent? What were the things they worried about? So I think that opportunity to revisit grief uh, never goes away, no matter how old we become. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true for everybody. It sort of plays out differently for everybody at different stages of life. Um, people will often say that to me, like, oh, it must have been so hard when you got married or when you had your children to not have your mom there. And just on a, and I think this might just really just be me. <laughs> I sort of have this opposite feeling of like, oh, no, I've lived without her for so long. It barely registers. It barely comes up for me. Um, I think it means something different for me. Um, and I, I have a funny kind of like resistance to that idea of like, oh, I'm missing her anew. Because I think she's been gone so long that she really did become a presence in my life, you know, much more so in my in my 30s and 40s and I had children kind of late so I really did sort of feel her around when I was having my kids um and and I think that renewed experience of a connection to her you know which took me many decades to kind of um get into now it feels quite full whereas if I had lost her in my 20s or 30s it it I might have still been feeling that acute loss of like oh no she's not here um, she's been gone so long. There's been the time for me to cultivate this relationship with her, um, you know, her spirit side or, or however you want to think about it. I don't even really use that word, but I, I just feel her presence. Mm -hmm. You know, I have conversations with her. She's, she's a big part of my life. Um, and so I think in a way that's an advantage to have, have, to having lost her as early as I did. Yeah, I really appreciate that aspect of how all of our relationships with our people who have died are particularly unique and also our relationships to our grief and what we do and find in it. And so for you to have done the work that you did to create a connection with your mother, to still have her presence with you as you headed into these new milestones and to, in a sense, be able to, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but almost kind of be proud of like, oh, I've been able to find a way to stay connected to her. And I might not have been able to do that if I had had more years with her in this moment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Pride is a great word. Mm -hmm. I love that you brought that up in terms of just like, yeah, bringing her back in my life. I think that's um, that kind of sense of I'm so strong. I, my mom just died and I'm here. I am like graduating from high school. Um, I just did have a sense of like pride in what, I was able to handle from early in the process. 
So I still feel that it's an interesting aspect of grief that I think parents don't necessarily um, see in their kids. You know, they might not even know it's there because it's not something I would have articulated. And it also makes me think of the teens who, or the young adults who, for whatever reason, don't feel that, you know, that not everyone is able to have that experience. There's people in our groups who say, I feel my person all the time. And there's others people who say, I try so hard and I just don't feel them. They're just gone. Mm-hmm. All I have in my memories. And it's it can be hard to have those conversations with people who have such different experiences and they can be envious of one another. Um, so I always you know, want to be cautious to not uh, do any sort of blanket, like everybody should be able to do this because it's going to be different for everyone. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And I, it's interesting, like, I certainly felt that pride on one level and a deep shame on another. So I think it's both. And you could definitely feel like, um, like you just want to crawl under a rock, um, at the Mm. same time. And I, 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 yeah, I wouldn't say I felt that confidence in feeling that connection to my mom early on. Um, I did talk to her pretty early, uh, but that was more out of anger. I just wanted to yell at her (laughs) (laughs) and cry to her and say like, what the hell, you know? Mm. Anyway. um, So when you're asked to help, um, adults in the community understand what adolescent grief looks like and and how to support teens who may be dealing with a big loss like what are some of the main points you try to get across well i think we always start from one basic premise which is that grief is natural and normal it's an expected reaction to a loss of some sort whether that's a death whether that's uh, the diagnosis of an illness whether that's some other loss in a life, which could be the end of a friendship or um, having to move away from a school that an adolescent really loves. Also, grief can show up when there's any type of change, even a change that is, you know, quote unquote, sanctioned to be positive. So I think about teens have so much change happening, right? They move from elementary school to middle school or junior school. They move from junior high school or middle school to high school. Then high school ends and then what, right? There's so many transitions. Um, and I think sometimes we can miss that grief can be a part of that because there's a lot of like, oh, you must be so excited or congratulations, you did so great, which are all wonderful things to say and warranted. And also, how do we have some space for the sadness that might come from saying goodbye to a teacher that we particularly connected with or having to change up our routine or not seeing the same friends we always saw on the bus? So, you know, when parents and caregivers are like, this feels so brand new, it's like, touch into how your kid has reacted to other losses along their life. Mm. And you might have, it gives you a little bit of a clue into it. Of course, it's different with every loss. It's not going to be a roadmap necessarily, but just some indicators and also to help build parent and caregiver confidence that they can be there for their teens because they've been there with them through all of these changes and and, uh, shifts in their lives. Yeah. So starting just from that place, because I think we can get, I still get caught by it 21 years into working in this field of like people's pain is uncomfortable and we want to take it away. We want to make it go away. And sometimes the person experiencing the pain would also like to make it go away. So it's easy to get hooked into like, my goal must be to keep them from being upset when really the goal is how do I create space for them to feel whatever they're feeling? Yeah. Um, 
So that's kind of the basic groundwork. And then we talk about how important it is to be honest with teens about what happened to answer their questions as honestly as we can. Um, teens nor kids like to be cut out of the conversation in that. And if we don't give them the information they're asking for, they're going to go elsewhere to find it. And they may find out things that um, aren't true. Uh, or they might find out information and have no support in how to process that information. So being honest with teens is really important. And then listening a whole lot more than you're talking is usually a good option when it comes to anybody who's grieving. Um, and recognizing that grief can look like a lot of different things. So we have often we have a stereotype in our head of what grief looks like, which has been fed to us through movies and books of grief looks like crying, grief looks like sadness, sometimes grief looks like anger, sometimes grief looks like withdrawal, but that's kind of it, right? Like it's a purely emotional experience. And so helping parents and caregivers broaden their web of knowledge about what grief can show up as, that it can impact our emotions, it can impact our minds, it can impact our bodies, it can impact our behaviors, it can impact our social relationships, all those things. Right. Because sometimes parents will be like, well, they're not grieving. And I'm like, okay, well, how are they sleeping? How are things going at school? Are they forgetting chores? Like it can start to show up in lots of different ways. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we go from there, like, like, how do we know if a teen is grieving? We know that someone in their life died. Yeah. Like <laughs> we don't even really have to look for it. Right. Like we just know that that's happening, yeah. but what it's going to look like for them can be really different. Cause you may have a teen who doubles down and does a lot better at school, or you might have a teen who joins every club imaginable to stay as busy as possible because they don't have the space or capacity in this moment to really like think about things or feel things. So they just get real, real busy. Absolutely. Yeah. It's more like that, that sharp turn in behavior that I think is pretty common um, you know, mm -hmm. for, for a teenager to just do something kind of really different um, in the wake of a loss, I think is is expected or should be expected, you know, to just be open. Like, instead of saying, um, wait, I thought you were really, really liked these friends. How come you're hanging out with these people? Or wait, I, I thought you loved swimming, you know, those kinds of things. Well, when we talk about how grief shows up in so many different ways, it also shows up in a shift of our uh, perspective, our values and our sense of self. And so a lot of times people will go through a bit of an identity reorganization in the wake of a loss because uh, it brings things into a whole new perspective. So maybe it's like, whoa, I am wasting my time with these friends who are not really, you know, it's not a very mutual relationship. I actually need friends who can be there for me. So I'm shifting my friend group or I put so much of my time and energy into soccer and I don't actually really like playing it. So maybe I'm going to do something else that I really want to check out. Like I love singing. So I'm going to join the choral group or whatever it might be. I'm just giving examples. No, exactly. So giving space for that. Exactly. Those are perfect examples. And I think um, because you are naturally forming your identity in those years, um, the grief becomes like a big piece of your identity, mm -hmm. you know, um, so that you know, we can talk about like the shift in perspective or having more compassion or, but it's even deeper than that. I want to say it could be also just the, the, some of the sensations, um, some of the, the real feelings of grief can become a sort of a part of you. Right. And, and so that grief can make a huge impression. And you also can have teens who, really 
resist the idea that the grief could be a big part of their life. Yes. You know, of like, I don't want this to impact me. I don't want this to be a big deal in my life, which it sounds like maybe you had a little bit of that in your life too, but that I think can be a common thing, right? Like I'm just on the brink of figuring out who I am and I'm about to have hopefully a lot of fun. And I really don't want this to hinder that in any way. And parents and caregivers can also feel that pressure to, to you know, to buffer, protect teens um, from the impact of the loss in that way. Yes. And that, and that impression that I'm talking about, that's something I definitely resisted. I definitely would have hated the idea of that as a teenager. It's more like, this is the, you know, the middle-aged woman looking back and seeing it as, oh yeah, that made such a deep impression that it's, it's always been a big piece of who I identify myself as, but I wouldn't have had that perspective. Um, as I was forming my identity, that it was becoming a big piece of it. And yeah, that's a perfect point. I definitely didn't like the idea of grief. The idea of grief was a yicky. And <laughs> I was like, if you told me then that I'd be doing this work now, I would have been like, oh, yuck, you know, um, but. And I think that's sometimes I go back to that power of peer support for mm -hmm. teens. So, you know, teens come into our groups and they're pretty like, usually when they come for their first time appointment, they're like hoods are up, their AirPods are in, their sunglasses are on. They're like, no, thank you. I do not want to come to this place where everyone's sad and all you do is cry and you're going to force me to talk. And so we do a lot of like, you can do whatever you need to do while you're here, including not talk. You can keep your AirPods in, but it's great if music's not playing because we're trying to create a you know community together, but you definitely don't have to talk. And that we laugh probably as much, if not more, then we actually cry. You know, I always joke with them. I'm like, there's tissues around here, but you don't get extra credit if you cry in grief group. Like not everybody cries and it's okay if you do, but there's no pressure to do that. We're not going to judge like your level of grief or your connection to your person who died. And so they get to be with other teens and they talk about prom, they talk about TikTok, they, you know, whatever they're talking about is changing all the time. I can't keep up, but <laughs> whatever they're talking about, and it's not always, and most often isn't directly about their person who died. And I think that's so powerful because they can come and be, you know, quote unquote, normal teens around a bunch of quote unquote, other normal teens who have all had someone in their life die and who get it on some level. And they don't have to sit down face to face with an adult who's like, tell me how you feel, which can be the most intimidating thing, I think, for teens who are like, I don't know how big of a part of my life I want or need this to be. And I really don't want these adults focused, laser focused on me in my emotional state right now. Absolutely. How easy is it or hard is it to um, kind of get kids who are especially teenagers. I mean, I, I can imagine with little kids, it's so much in a way maybe easier because you can um, kind of come to them, give them space to express themselves through games and through drawing and through, you know, activities. But I imagine when you have some adolescents all in a room, you know, for grief support, you, you kind of can't get away with that. It has to be conversation. Oh, you'd be surprised. We do a lot of activities and games with the teens okay. too. It just has a different tone of voice. <laughs> okay. Okay. You know, we're not like circle up everybody. We're going to play a game. It's like, Hey y'all, here's this piece of paper and here's some things you can do with that piece of paper. And who wants to play some music while we do the things on the piece of paper. So there's ways to include that, um, 
more creative expression because there are teens who come in and they either don't have words for their experience, don't want to share those words for the experience, or aren't in a place where they feel uh, safe or ready enough to share those words for their experience. And so we like to provide music and art and writing and other ways for them to process and they can keep it private if they want to. You know, they can be in the room, they can do the work. And then when we say anybody want to share and they can say, no, thank you. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that is a big part of well, I think it's a big part for people of all ages, but I think it's particularly highlighted in adolescence of that sense of privacy, right? There are things that I am working out on my own, uh, hopefully away from the prying eyes of the adults in my life. And we want to respect that privacy in their grief as well. Right. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I would imagine that um, doing creative things, you know, is is always helpful. Do you try to kind of encourage them to do those things outside of grief group? We don't in the fact that we don't really encourage folks to do anything in their grief, except if they come to grief group, like to follow the guidelines that we have, because we aren't very prescriptive in that way. I see. When we are supporting parents and caregivers, say if we do a training or if we're just having an information session with them, we do talk about the value of providing a variety of different avenues of expression for people of all ages. And the, the best way to do that is to model it for your kids. So mm-hmm. to name it for yourself, to say, you know, I'm feeling really, um, weighted down with this grief this morning. I just feel so heavy and tired. So I'm going to go for a walk, even though it's kind of the last thing I want to do. (laughs) I'll be back in 20 minutes. Or I was really missing dad today and I was feeling really overwhelmed. So I decided to take a nap or I was feeling so disconnected from dad. I couldn't, I was like, I can't remember the sound of his voice. So I sat down and looked through some photos or I watched some videos on my phone of him And it made me sad. I got, you know, I cried a lot, but I feel so much more connected to him now. Mm. So there's ways to model that for kids without being like, and you should do that too. (laughs) Right. Right. And I think that is um, what was missing uh, in my experience. But I think for decades, for many families, what was missing was that acknowledgement of grief, uh, especially from parents or adults around uh, a child or teenager who's grieving is just I see that you are grieving um, or I am grieving. I just think that acknowledgement piece would have made such a difference to me um, and to most of the guests I've had on this podcast so far. It's just the adults around you acknowledging it. Mm-hmm. So my question is, do you think um, that change, that shift, I mean, you've been there 20 years. Have you noticed a kind of a movement towards acknowledging, towards articulating, towards talking about grief, making it, normalizing it. Um, I mean, obviously that's the work that you're doing. That's the work I'm doing. But are you seeing a kind of a shift in the overall, you know, your overall community? Well, that's a tough question, Anne, because I have such a skewed sample, right? I have families coming into the Deggy Center who are already at least at the place where they're willing to come into a space that is particularly focused on grief and grief support. Mm -hmm. So I never have like an objective sense of that. Um, And then I'm like, well, I do see a lot more, you know, grief podcasts and grief books and uh, TV shows that are really talk, you know, kind of getting into the realm of grief. And I'm like, oh, again, do I have a skewed sample? Because all the people I follow on social media are probably, (laughs) you know, like I'm right. I think I just have a small window in and, and mine is skewed. However, I do think given my small window in that has definitely shifted in the last 
you know, five to six years, there's so many more people who are doing the work that you're doing, who are individually, you know, making a difference in their community of, of having the conversation about grief and not necessarily from like a closed door psychotherapy way. Uh, nothing wrong with that too, but in ways of just having it be part of the the general conversation, I do think, you know, at the start of COVID, the word grief landed everywhere for everyone, which came with some positives and maybe not so positive things for people who are grieving a death. And when COVID first started in 2020, I remember thinking like, where are all the books and the movies about, you know, the pandemic of 1918? Where are uh, the books and the movies about the grief people experienced after World War One and World War Two and all of that? There's a lot of books about the history, but there's not that much storyline around the actual grief. And I was like, oh, I'm sure it'll be different now, right? It's 2023. Well, summer 2023, over a million Americans have died. I'm not seeing or hearing very much about that grief anymore. I'm watching people be very quick to be like, shoop, that's <laughs> over. Now we don't have to talk about that anymore. So yes and no. I do think there's that individual grief is being more recognized and in a sense commodified sometimes. There's more conversations about it. And I do think our collective awareness around grief, that's next step. <laughs> mm. Okay, well, we are, this time is going fast. I knew it would. I knew I could talk to you about this for hours, but there's a burning question I really have. And it's in your work, you're really dealing with the the front end of grief. I assume mostly you're dealing with people who've had a recent loss. So my question is, do you have longer views of it in terms of do you have people who were here 20 years ago and now they're they're back, um, or they maybe they're volunteering? Um, and then do you talk about those sort of longer arcs of it in? your grief groups or it, when you're talking to families? Yeah. Well, I have two stories I want to tell you to start, and then I'll try to answer your question. So the first story is a teen who uh, was part of a video we made about like helping, helping teens who are grieving and understanding teens who are grieving. And she, uh, the, like the perfect metaphor for me, she's like, when somebody dies, a piece of the puzzle is taken away. And you may do everything to put the whole rest of the puzzle together, but that one piece is always going to be missing. It doesn't mean the puzzle is ruined and it doesn't mean the puzzle is broken, but there's a shape that's unique to the, the essence of that person who is now no longer physically with you that will always be gone. And I say that to parents and caregivers of trying to pause or at least identify the motivation they may have to try to fill that puzzle hole with all kinds of different things and nothing's ever going to fit perfectly. And is there a way that we can celebrate and uh, support our kids and our teens being those puzzles with one piece missing or maybe two pieces missing? Because we are all puzzles with pieces missing and it doesn't mean we're any less than. So that I stick with that metaphor all the time. Um, mm. a number of years ago, I was, uh, in a group with, this was a group for kids who were six to 12 and our volunteers are a big part of our group. So they join as peers. They have adult standing, but they are also peers who share their own stories of loss with the kids. And one of the facilitators said, you know, my name is George. I'm 53. My dad died when I was seven and my brother died when I was 23. And the kid next to me leans over and whispers and goes, Psst. He's been coming to the Dougie Center a very long time. Because <laughs> in his mind, this 53-year-old guy just been coming to Dougie Center ever since he was seven when his dad died. Wow. And and so I do think we we are continually having that conversation of what you call the long arc 
of grief, which I think Hope Edelman also writes about in that you know, kids who are, you know, they're 13 and their parent just died. They're sitting in a room at Dougie Center with people who were also 13 when their parent died, but they're 27 now, or they're 57 now, or they're 87 now. And they get to reflect on and hear how that grief has changed over time, how people have changed. And and one teen who came to Dougie Center said, you know, you all are my heroes because here I am at this 14-year-old teenager whose mom just died. I have no idea how I'm going to do it. And I look around the room and you're doing it. Mm. Like you have lived your life. You have grown up, you have worked, you have had families, you have raised dogs, you have done things you've wanted to do. And you've managed to do that, carrying this grief with you. So I know I can do it too. Mm. So again, to like, we don't have to take the grief away. We have to make space and celebrate and honor and support people and learning to live their life with that loss. Mm. Oh, that's so beautiful. I mean, that just gives me chills. <laughs> Interview over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really, I, I really love that. Um, that you have older people who can reflect back on that. That's so, that's so great. Um, what do you think is the most challenging for grief counselors when it comes to supporting teens in particular? Um, you know, and what do you think are the biggest challenges for teens who are grieving and getting to getting the support they need? I mean, obviously you're at the Dougie Center, they're getting support, but do you think about um, kids that maybe just came once and didn't come back or, you know, families who want their kids to come, but can't come or refuse to come? I mean, do you, I don't know, does that, is that a piece of what you think about? Uh, always. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, we have a variety of people who come once and never come back, people who come for 10 years. And, you know, we always start from the place of like peer grief support isn't the right fit for everybody. Right. Some people do not want to be in a room with 16 other teenagers who have all had someone die. It is too much and too overwhelming. Yeah. They're like, that's not where I'm at. Um, some people want to be in that environment. Some people want that one-on-one support of working with um a counselor or a therapist where they can really delve just into their own uh, experience. And it's one-sided, right? When teens come to the peer support group, the expectation is they will be providing support and receiving support. Mm. And not every teen's like into that, right? They want to just have somebody listen to them. Right. So that's great that we have that option for people. Some people are much better suited by going to actual family therapy because they want, they need to have help and a facilitator for having conversations with the existing adults in their life and their siblings and their extended family members. They need more of that. Like, uh, I always think of those folks as like construction workers, you know, they're having to build bridges Mm. between people and helping to translate what people are going through. So, and some people need all that. So I think it's really about helping teens and families figure out what's going to be the best uh, fit in the moment, knowing that that could change over time. And then there are teens who, because it's peer support, have plenty of peer support in their own lives. You know, they say, I've got a best friend whose uh, parent died and they get it, or I'm in this youth group and everyone's really supportive. I have what I need right now. Yeah. So we try to stay open to all of that. And there's also people who are like, I'm shoving this in a very big box and I'm not dealing with it right now. Yeah. <laughs> and there's always time to open that box up again, as uh, many people who are maybe of your generation who had no opportunity, even though the box existed, had to go back to that box later on in life and explore it from uh, a different perspective. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and I, I do think that 
having the language to talk about it is such a great tool, but so many teens don't have that and they may not have access to a peer support group or, you know, a grief center. Um, I think that is one of the, it must be one of the great things about, um, doing peer support is that you suddenly are around people who are saying things that you might be like, oh yeah, that's, that's true for me too. But you would have never put it into those words and those words kind of give you something, um, a roadmap in a way to dealing with your grief. Um, I know for me, and I know for a lot of people of my generation, yeah, we didn't talk about it because we just didn't have the language and we didn't have anyone helping us find that language. So, you know, we're sort of waiting for the adults around us to give us that language and maybe they didn't have it either. They absolutely didn't have it. <laughs> right. There was just this whole void of, of conversation, which is what made so many people feel like there must be something wrong with me because I have all these feelings and, you know, no one's talking about it. Um, and, and I also want to caution too. I mean, I think you asked me like, what's the hardest thing about doing the work that I do? And there's many things I could talk about. Um, uh, but I've been thinking more globally, and this came from an interview I did with Colin Campbell, who just published a book called Finding the Words, and both of his teenage children were hit and killed uh, by a, a driver who was using substances, who was drunk and high. And for him, he describes that, you know, the zeitgeist around grief these days is like grief's different for everybody, and no one can tell you what to do because it's your own unique journey. And that got created out of a sense of wanting to liberate people from this idea that there's one right or wrong way to grieve and to broaden that for people. And he found it to be right. not helpful. And like, what do you mean? There's no roadmap. There's no anything. Like I just, I'm in this on my own. It felt very lonely. And I was like, I am going to be really curious over the next 10 to 15 years as we are moving into this more place of like grief awareness and grief for everybody and grief for all and things like that. <laughs> yeah what what's the pendulum going to be like what are the things that we put into place and sort of talking about with earnestness and good heartedness to liberate from a, a more restrictive way of approaching grief that is going to start to feel too maybe open-ended and people are going in the other direction so i think about that particularly with teenagers right like not everyone's going to be like oh thank you for creating this safe place for me to like pour my heart out to you they're going to be like, no, thank you. I'm going to play soccer and work this out in my own mind. Yeah. <laughs> and how do we make space for that to be okay too? I just don't ever want it to set up that not only is grief just crying, but being, um, to use a word I don't use very often, like being healthy in your grief. The only way to do that is to like talk about it and do these certain things and meet these certain uh, markers of what healthy grief looks like. Right. The, the key, I think, is to make space for it mm. and to acknowledge it. Those are the, the big ones for me. I think it is okay to not talk about it. I think it is okay to figure out other ways to kind of get through it and work with it. Um, and I think the key there is to provide more options, right? And let teens have choices about those things. And then continuing to provide a menu of options if those are available and not just doing it one time. You know, like, hey, you want to go check out this peer support group? <sighs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Six months go by, I'd be like, hey, I'm really noticing that you're struggling with school. And could we revisit this idea of going to this peer grief support group or, you know, whatever it might be? Like, how do you still be a parent while also making space for teens to express their grief in different ways and on a different timeline? 
Oh, and the last thing I would say about that, Anne, too, yeah. is for, for me, a big learning from the teens at Dougie Centers. They say, you know, one of the things I like about coming here is you don't just lead with how do you feel. You lead with tell me what you want me to know about your person. Mm. And there's always exceptions to that. Not everybody likes to answer that question of tell me about your person. So I have to be cautious about that, too. But starting there as a parent, be like, you know, I, I heard that this person that you went to high school with died like I never got a chance to meet them D did you know them or what did you know about them what can you tell me about them um so being able to do some more of that storytelling and space for grief isn't just our feelings grief is also our memories and our relationship with that person and you talked about how valuable it's been for you to have an ongoing relationship with your mother and that's one way we can help teens foster that is to let them know it's okay to keep talking about the person and sharing stories and exploring uh memories yeah, absolutely. I mean, for years, I would just eat up any any stories about my mom. And mm. all through my my adulthood, I would love when people would say, Oh, I knew your mom, you know, and just the little impression that she made on them, you know, would be like, you know, like a big delicious cookie, you know, like, thank mm -hmm. you. <laughs> I'll take you it. You didn't even know anyone was baking for you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, Jenna, I don't want to take up any more of your time, although I could, you know, keep talking to you for a long time. There's so many things, um, so many little um, tributaries I kept seeing as you're talking like, oh, I could mm -hmm. ask about this. I could ask about that. But I feel like we covered a lot. And, um, you know, who knows, maybe we'll we'll revisit again sometime. But thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And I will definitely put um, the Dougie Center website in the show notes as well as your your podcast. So, oh, well, thank you, Anne, for inviting me on and making such a, you know, oh, I feel it's weird to say this, but like a fun place to talk about grief. I'm usually oh. on the other side asking the like contained questions. So it's nice to just be able to like blah, about things <laughs> I think about all the time. So appreciate that. Hopefully there's something in there that's helpful for your listeners. And just again, grateful for the work that you're doing. Yeah, thank you. So thank you everybody for listening. Thanks for being part of this conversation. And if you want to spread the news about this podcast, please share the episode and rate it, give it some stars and review it. If you have a minute um, that really helps other people find the podcast. And uh, lastly, I just want to thank Josephine Wiggs for the music. It's from her album, We Fall. <laughs>